0: In today's episode or session of Family Health Revolution, I am wading into the topic of loss and grief, which is a very difficult topic for I think everybody on the planet, (laughs) unless you have no feelings whatsoever. I mean, it's always a journey and exploration and often painful, frustrating, um, I don't know, causing feelings of desperation even sometimes in people Um, or despondency um, or even anger so I wanted to have a really open discussion about it and I actually wrote an entire section of my book Family Health Revolution um, where I explored this topic and I didn't even read it before I um, prepared what I wanted to say today just because what was pouring out of me in this moment was just going to be what it is right now so i hope that you enjoy the session welcome to the family health revolution podcast with coach carla atherton where she discovers uncovers explores and reveals the secrets to true family health and wellness Grief and loss are parts of living that are really difficult to preface in an introduction. We know that everyone dies eventually, but it doesn't make loss one bit easier or grieving unnecessary, not one bit. How we see death and how we process it in Western culture is fragmented. Some of us have belief systems, traditions, ceremony, but as a whole, we are not whole. We don't tend to discuss it openly. Our healing processes are often incomplete and leave us with little insight, only the residual echoes of pain. But can it be different? That's my question. Our grief can disconnect us when we feel alone in our pain, but it can also connect us when we allow for those connections and give them a space to form. We fear death and loss. We fear change because the outcome is unknown and we feel guilty when we are moving toward moving on, almost like survivor's guilt. Why did she not make it and I did? When we cannot move beyond those things, we stay the same even if that sameness is no longer serving us, except to stave off the inevitable letting go. Grief is not a competition, nor is it relegated to those of us who have lost big and sometimes so completely that it is a wonder that they still walk the earth themselves. We can grieve many things. In fact, much of the world is grieving loss in many different capacities right now. Not only the devastating loss of loved ones, but also of health, livelihoods, freedoms, friendships, and security. And if those losses are not ours, we also grieve for people who have lost. We can mourn for ourselves and mourn for that person who is suffering, who has suffered, or who doesn't get to be here anymore. Because we hang on to our own attachments, our own lives, and the people in it, we emphath- emphasize emph- <laughs> empathize Mushmouth. So I'm going to say that again. So, because we hang on to our own attachments, our own lives, and the people in it, right? We empathize for the life that was lost, wondering why them, what could have been, and I don't want to let go. Empathy allows us to feel what it must be like for others to mourn for and with others, to be there with them in their pain. We can grieve loss of relationship or loss of health a diagnosis can be yours or that of a loved one or a prognosis hey, so i know that when my daughter was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 11 my husband showed signs of grieving but i just got to work knowing that a diagnosis is not the end but would be the beginning of our healing journey and i say our healing journey because illness is never ever one family member's burden or journey but I did eventually end up grieving, grieving the things I didn't even know I had to grieve and not a grief that seemed to have any closure. It moved me through stages, peeling back the layers of grief that were revealed to me as we moved through life. We were now constantly and continually faced with the chance of ultimate loss, the ultimate loss, the loss of a life of my beautiful, glorious daughter. And what would that be like to lose her? What kind of hole would that leave in my mama's heart? So ours was a journey through losses. Loss of the confidence that everyone would wake up relatively well every morning. Loss of the ease and innocence and lack of worry. Loss of my daughter's confidence in her teen years and sometimes a complete change in personality. The pain and powerlessness was immense when what the shit of the world taught us about health and healing was louder than her own mother and fiercest advocate me was telling her. So it was louder than what I was telling her. So I had to hold space and let her move through it herself when my involvement was construed as interference. I had to surrender when I wanted to fight. I had to make peace when I wanted to struggle. I had to let go when I wanted to hold on. And with these losses came worry, pain, rage, and sometimes despair. I had to find the balance between enjoying what is in the now and recognizing what we could improve, between striving to fix everything and allowing for the healing, between striving to stage one particular outcome, and then being curious of what new would come. The possibility of her loss was enough to send me into the stages of grief without having lost a life. It took only the possibility. And I'm a fighter and I wanted to fight for her. I survived many traumas in my own life, and what got me through was the strength I cultivated, my perseverance, my independence, my feistiness, and my leadership. Yet during one torturous stretch, like I mean torture, (laughs) in the timeline of our mother-daughter history, I had to come to terms with the fact that my teen daughter didn't want me to lead her. And that took a monumental amount of letting go while still loving fiercely while not only empowering myself, but also my daughter. So, how do we support ourselves through our grief, our loss, our fear of grief and loss? I suppose that understanding the unknown can relieve the fear that we have about death. We do this by exploring the experience as a subject and from beliefs traditions and ceremonies to both help us make sense of life and death but also to help us move through the stages. There is a lot of debate over which belief or worldview is right, which can be everything from the various religions to the quantum or cosmic. And believe me, I've explored all of it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Personally, I'm not comforted by scripture readings during a funeral or grandiose, empty, passionless, generic readings about death and life because they miss the details that made that person them. They miss the personal meaning in their individual existence. They miss what that person meant to their family and their friends and to the world. They miss what that person meant to me. So I find power and truth in the connections between us and the people we have lost, in the experiences we had together and the cords that tie it all together in this life and whatever else is beyond. Everyone I've ever spoken to have, who has said goodbye to a loved one through a ceremony has said that it was the, mo- the personalized eulogies, the music, readings, photos, and conversation that allowed them to access their grief and start to process it. So my thinking is that a belief system could be working in two ways. To give a sense of peace and security, and maybe some might even say a false sense of security. Or it could be the truth And there is comfort in that truth, in the knowing of that truth. And I actually think it's both. We can't know what is definitively true, quote unquote, only what we believe to be true. So I don't think it really matters whether it is quote unquote false or true, because the sense of security when it comes to something we can't know is simply that. It's simply security. Just as there is no such thing as false hope, there is just hope. As long as it is not delusion or purposeful denial, as long as it is a a pure belief of the truth as you understand it, as long as it helps you to expand rather than turtle with your head in the shell, it is healing. When grieving, we need to allow ourselves and others to access those emotions and to feel them, and also to express them. We need to think through what it is that we need and give it to ourselves, as gently as we would give it to the most precious and delicate of children. About a month ago, I attended the funeral for the 18-year-old daughter of a high school friend. This was the most difficult funeral I've ever been to, with so many painful thoughts going through my mind, like, why? She wouldn't have the privilege of living her life. What must that be like for her devastated parents? For lack of words beyond this cliche, my heart ached, raw and openly for her parents, for her aunties and uncles, for her cousins, and for her friends. I grieved for the people who loved her, who would feel a daily absence of her from their lives, the people who have a very long road of healing ahead. A week ago, we attended two celebrations of life back to back in one weekend. One for my aunt who died of cancer, and one for my grandmother. I was there for my aunt's entire illness and experienced with my uncle, her children, one of her grandchildren, and a family friend the raw and intimate moments before her bodily letting go when she passed away in February. So when I was getting ready for the two celebrations of life our family attended last weekend, (laughs) I made sure I paid attention to everything leading to those events. (sighs) I wanted to handle my grief with grace. Now, not everyone has to or even wants to handle their grief with grace. The pain is raw and that's all there is but when you do, it doesn't mean that you don't feel or are pretending that you aren't feeling broken or numb or angry or distraught. It is allowing those feelings to come and to express them in a healthy way and in the safe embrace of people who love you and are bearing witness so as not to create a more, tra- more trauma in the wake of your emotional tide. Because of some culture's utter lack of truly cathartic rituals for healing, loss and grief, so many people turn to alcohol. They lash out and sink into deep depressions. I can understand why. The pain can be too much, but only if we have not been given other tools for healing. When we are told to hide it, when we are distressed, or feel there is some kind of stoic accomplishment, when we don't cry or express our anger. So we not only have, so we not only have to feel it, we have to have a way to express it. So I write and sing my way through everything of significance in my life, and those things can be small or monumental. My Auntie Kath always told me she wished she had my words. Losing my aunt was monumental, as was having her in my life, and for that, gratitude is an understatement. The two days of ceremonies were hard, but so needed. We needed to come together as a family to be there for each other, to witness and to support, to gain closure and release into new beginnings. As we grieved and connected, I wanted to move through it with grace and love. Now was not the time to neglect myself or my family. I had to be present for me and for them. So I made sure to get a good night's sleep. I took care of my body with food, water, a few vitamins, and a sun salutations yoga practice facing the rising sun. I took a drop of my flower remedies and sipped valerian tea on the three-hour drive to my aunt's celebration to balance my emotions. I anointed my neck with rose oil as it helps one to move through grief and trauma. I needed to read the poem I wrote at the ceremony and didn't want to crap out. But I was ready to forgive myself if I did crap out. I made space for the strength as well as for the vulnerability and both would be okay, whatever came. And I put on my dragonfly ring and the bracelet my auntie gave me because I wanted her with me and I believe in the power of talismans. I didn't fret over my outfit and wore white after Labor Day. I didn't remember to buy a card, but I knew my poem was my expression of love. I also move emotion through my body, which is called somatic experiencing. I recognize where it is Is it a heaviness in my chest, a closed throat, a tension in my shoulders? And I intuit what it is I need to do. Is it running or dancing or a gentle yoga practice or a challenging one to help move it along? Emotion is a living thing that exists in the tissues of the body, just as real as nutrients and viruses and oxygen molecules. People have chronic back pain due to stress or past emotional trauma. People have cancers showing up in areas Um, Chinese medicine has identified to be the seat of that particular emotion, such as anger in the liver, worry in the spleen and pancreas, and grief in the lungs. Energy medicine furthers this understanding. Our throat closes up and we feel we have no voice. Our GI is troubled when we can't digest or accept something in our lives, and our hearts actually feel heavy or give out when we have energetic blockages in our heart centers. These things are not just metaphorical. We can map our emotional experience by tuning into our bodies, and you don't have to know everything there is to know about Chinese medicine or energy medicine or somatic therapies to be able to recognize and move those emotions. For the people I see in my practice with chronic conditions, which is nearly all of them, there is a component of trauma or trapped emotion for every one of them. I've witnessed great emotional healing when people work through the body like breaking down in tears or maybe the words are breaking through with tears during a particularly challenging yoga asana and the opposite where the person gets nowhere or worse despite doing everything right like diet and exercise and still the cancer grows. So I breathed slow and deliberate because that is what it takes. That is all there is to do when you grieve all you really need to do, one breath at a time. So how do we support each other? Exactly how we support ourselves. By recognizing the stages of grief, by listening and engaging in the celebration of that person's life, by being there in the grief despite it being hard, and allowing whatever will come for those people. We don't project or tell people what to do. We don't fix even if we so very much want to because Then we take away their need to process it and come out of it with post-grief growth, a new understanding about life, a chance for reflection, assessment, and gratitude for what was and what is. Uncovering and experiencing the emotions that come from loss can help us to process them and release ourselves from the hold they can have on us. Psychologists have identified five to seven stages of grief, And although I really move away from completely psychologizing our human experience, which can sometimes turn into pathologizing natural processes, I think this insight is pretty accurate and helpful to consider. So the five original stages that a lot of psychologists look at are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance. And the seven stages sort of like a more expanded view of some things that may have been missed in those five stages are belief or disbelief and shock, denial, guilt and pain, bargaining, anger, depression and acceptance. So they're a little bit in a different order. And the second uh, grouping has the additional categories of disbelief and shock and of guilt and pain. So finding meaning is another aspect of the grieving process, and I would argue as is post-grief growth, which is not unlike post-traumatic growth. It is growth outside of something difficult. Um, The cycle of grieving always has to end with moving on with life, and there can be intense guilt in moving on. So many people experience this guilt when it is so blatantly unfair that our loved one is gone and the rest of us are still here. And then there's grace. We don't have to be graceful, but grace is the word I would choose when naming what I've been striving for these last few months. Moving on or handling grief with grace doesn't mean that you don't feel or pretend that you aren't feeling broken or numb or angry or distraught. It is allowing those feelings to come and to express them, but not to live there forever. So loss doesn't go away. We can't replace people or animal companions. We can't fill in their absence. We can't go back to innocence when we have faced a new reality, but we can accept that we lose and gain both at the same time and on a daily basis. We lose grandparents and gain newborn babies. It sometimes seems cruel or untimely, but we can even find meaning in that dance of birth and death or even acceptance in it. And yes, that sounds like a very tall order. When people would say to me and still say to me, Carla, you just have to let your daughter make her own decisions. You can't control what she does. Kids will be kids. Oh, she's fine. Oh, I understand diabetes. When they engage in things that are not life-threatening for them, but is for a person with diabetes, the reality of what they're asking me to do is to accept that my daughter could die and to relinquish control. And my mama instinct is to say, hell no. (laughs) Of course. So... What if we don't have control? What if we experience loss? What We use language like, they're always there with you. They will be there when you need them. They are watching over you. They are never really gone as a way of finding comfort. And that final step in the grieving process, acceptance. I think what we really mean is that whatever makes up our human experience, whether it be activities, events, moments, animals, or people, That experience, that connection, that intersection or exchange or intermingling informs you, alters you in some way, enriches or challenges you. So in two ways, the person or thing that you mourn or miss is always with you by way of memories, echoes in the brain, or body or energy or ancestral lineage. That's more than two. (laughs) So in closing of this exploration of grief and loss, I want to share with you a poem I didn't have the chance to read at my grand celebration of life. I wanted to share the reading by singing a verse from a song called Good Mother by Jan Arden because Jan herself sang this song to my grandmother in my uncle's kitchen years ago. I love that story. The significance of that moment of the gift my uncle wanted to give to her may have been lost on her not knowing what it took to get a famous poet and songwriter into an acquaintance's private kitchen and why he did it. But it wasn't lost on him, and it wasn't lost on me. My gran loved to sing, and funnily enough, so do I. I've got money in my pocket. I like the color of my hair. I've got a friend who loves me, got a house. I've got a car, I've got a good mother and her voice is what keeps me here. Feet on ground, heart in hand, facing forward, be yourself. Gran, you started this. With your love, this legacy, this audacious family, our antics inciting a tisk and a sigh, but always acceptance, secretly loving the noise and the doting in each and every one of us without condition. And you, those cheekbones, those glorious eyes and that hair everyone commented on, and your voice, your lilting voice, always in the high harmony. A tinkling of memory, your joyful self-expression, a bouncing baby on your knee, a chorus of girls and women in spontaneous song, just the sound of you and I in the hospital when you fought your way back to us, a trilling echo in my dreams, memories I have carefully gathered up to tuck away for frequent visits. You are not the sunshine that was taken away, because you can't take away what is eternal, integral entwined and rooted like the mighty trunk of a redwood tree you will always be the beginning of me of a large a boisterous a fiercely loving family the light that glows like the center of a star drawing all of the attention connecting the constellation of us Okay, so to wrap up, this podcast is sponsored by the Healthy Family Formula, which essentially means that we share our information for free. All we ask is that before you move on to the next 100 things on your to-do list for today, take what you learn and instead of waiting until Monday, January 1st, or any other arbitrary date in the future, act on it now. Buy that new food, start that new routine, shift into that healthier habit. The little steps steadily move you past the miles you leave behind you. For more information about anything related to family health, do pick up my book and check out our newsletter, blog, Individual and Group Coaching Programs, and Practitioner Training Program at HealthyFamilyFormula.com. You can also like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash healthyfamilyformula. You can follow us on Instagram at HFF underscore revolution and follow us on Clubhouse at Empowered Family for live chats that we are doing at this time every Wednesday. So thank you for listening as it was a pleasure to spend this time with you today. May you and your family be well. Please note that Family Health Revolution podcast is not a source for diagnosis or medical treatment, but is the opinion of the host. This podcast is intended to empower people with information so they can make the best health decisions for themselves. It is up to each person to listen to their inner wisdom, consider the information they deem to be accurate and applicable to their individual situation, and consult with their trusted health care providers, if they so choose, when making any decisions regarding their own health or the health of their loved ones. Each person's health is their own responsibility.